Amen. You may be seated, and as you're being seated, if you would, take out your copy of God's Word, the Bible, and turn with me to Luke chapter 21. A couple, couple things that I need to share with you before we get into this passage. First of all, I want to remind you and invite you to our Thanksgiving fellowship tonight. If you have never been, it's really one of the highlights of the church. We have a great time of fellowship. Uh, you be here tonight, 5.30. The church is providing the, um, the meat and the dressing and the beverages. And so we are asked as church members to, to bring sides and desserts. Come, it'll be in here. We're going to have a great time of fellowship together. If you're a guest, come. We want to just hang out with you and enjoy time talking to you around the, around the supper table. And so that does mean, guys, after the service, we'll need to take down half of this stuff, stack it up, and we'll need to set up for tonight. Appreciate your help. Secondly, um, I told you last week, I reminded, I didn't tell you, I reminded you last week, and I hope that, that we all have this mindset, that as we come in here on Sundays, certainly we recognize that as we come that we receive a blessing. I hope that we do. But that should not be our reason for coming to church on Sunday. Our reason for coming to church with our faith family on Sunday should be to give honor and praise to the Lord. That all week we've been spending time with Him. We've been spending time in His Word. And He's speaking to us. And He's revealing Himself to us. And He's showing, showing us who He is. And so we come together to sing praise to Him. To clap our hands and to praise Him for what He has done. I want to share one of those reasons today. If you were here um, this past Wednesday night. I'll talk more about what we did the rest of Wednesday night, but this past Wednesday night, we, uh, we took a little time out at the very beginning. We have a church member who was in the first service. Her name is Dot Southern, and Dot is one of our senior adult, precious senior adult ladies. And uh, she asked us this past Wednesday night to have a special time of prayer for her husband, Bobby. And uh, Bobby, on Monday of this past week, was told by the doctor that he didn't have long to live, really just possibly even a couple weeks they're getting a second opinion on that, and so her heart was burdened by that. But she also gave me the permission to share uh, what I had known and what several who are close to Dot knew, and that is that Bobby was not a believer. Bobby was not a Christian. He's not a Christian. And many of us have prayed with Bobby, and he has heard the gospel many times and was just resistant to the gospel. Dot came in to the, service, to the, to the church this morning uh, right before the first service with smiles on her face and said, MJ, I just want to tell you, last night the doctor, his doctor, came to the house not to check on his health, but to check on his spirit, his spiritual health, and shared the gospel with him as he had already done before, shared the gospel again, and last night Bobby Southern prayed to receive Christ. So we need to praise the Lord. <clears throat> We certainly praise the Lord. What a, what a blessing. We continue to pray for, for the Lord's will and the health of Bobby, but we just want to praise him. And I've just, in the foyer, just had to stop and give praise through prayer with Dot this morning. So I hope when we come together that we're just praising the Lord for who he is and for what he's done. All week, as I have been uh, studying this passage and looking forward to this passage, there has been a phrase that has been just repeated over and over in my mind, a phrase that I can't uh, get out of my mind. And it comes from a show that I loved, a series that I loved when I was a kid. And so many of you are my age or around my age. And so uh, I would guess, especially guys, you would be very familiar with the show I'm about to share with you. But there was a show when I was a teenager and before a teenager called The A-Team. And man, I'm telling you, it was, to me, one of the best shows it's ever been. If you're not familiar with A-Team, now they made a movie a few years back. It was nothing like the show. It was not near as good as the show. 
in the show, the whole, the whole concept is there are these guys that were done wrong by the military, but yet they're great guys, and they're running from the law, but what they do, they're living is they want to go into different towns and villages and communities, and they want to help people out. Maybe the organized crime has been uh, coming down on them. They're going to go in and they're going to bust up the organized crime. Or maybe it's the local police department that is crooked and they're going to go in and they're going to defend those who needed to be defended. And every week it was, you know, be quiet. I'm going to be home. Don't care what it is going on. I'm going to watch the A-team. And the A-team was led by a character named Hannibal. And if you'll remember, or if you don't know, Hannibal would always, with the team, they would come together, they would research the situation, and there would come a time where they would come up with a plan, and it was always going to lead to the climax of the series. The A-team was always going to win, and they had these great concoctions, these great plans for how they were going to take care of the organized crime in this little town. And there would always be things that happened that they didn't plan for. But that was all right, because they were the A-team. And so after the climax of the show took place, everything happened, all these, all these things that they never foresaw taking place, but yet they were still able to win, still able to have victory at the end of the series. The show would end with, at the end of that climax, Hannibal, I'm not promoting cigars, but I'm just telling you what he would do. Hannibal would always put a big cigar in his mouth, and he would have a little grin, smile on his face, and he'd be twirling that guitar, uh, that guitar, <laughs> where'd that come from? He would be twirling that cigar, and he would say, I love it when a plan comes together. And always, you know, yeah, that was great. I love it when a plan comes together. I share that with you because that has been the phrase that's been going over, over in my mind all week long. Not my plans, but I love it when I can see God's sovereignty, when I can see God's plan for me in my life or for us in our church, when I can see God's plan come together and it orchestrates in such a way that you just have to say, hey, this is God. This is not the doing of man. This is not the will and the work of any person. This is the work of, of God in this. How did I see that this week? Why has that been on my mind? Uh, this past Wednesday, we had a business, special call business meeting. And we presented, our finance committee presented our 2020 proposed budget. If you are a member or not a member, guests are welcome to it as well. Go to the Welcome Center if you weren't here. And there is uh, the 2020 proposed budget uh, for Crossroads Baptist out there. And so the finance committee proposed that budget this past week. Let me tell you how this works. We never have a set day, a set Wednesday of the year that that proposed budget will be presented. Since I've been here, there have been times that we have had everything ready, and in October, we have presented the proposed budget and voted on it. There have been other times, just a couple years ago, that we waited in, until December. It was actually the, the Wednesday before Nativity, um, that two years ago, that we presented the budget because the Finance Committee was just waiting on some things to come together and make sure that they felt good and, and, and pray about the budget. So there's never a time a set Wednesday of the year that the finance committee says, this is the Wednesday that we must present the budget. That was this past Wednesday. We started this study of Luke a year ago, actually a year and three weeks ago. The first Sunday of, of November 2018, we started this study of Luke. There could, have, there could be no way that one year ago 
that I could have said, all right, so I'm going to plan out all these sermons on Sundays and Wednesdays that we have been going through Luke. And I want on that, whatever last Wednesday was, the third Wednesday, second Wednesday of, of November, I want us to present the budget because on that last Sunday of November, we're going to study from God's word about giving money. And the hush falls over the congregation. Because that's the topic that no one wants to hear about, right? That's the topic that all church members and all churchgoers kind of put their head down and get a little, I don't know, why, why do we have to talk about money? Reminds me of this young preacher that, that um, became pastor of this church, and he's firing the church up, and he's excited about God's vision for the church. And on the first Sunday, he talks, he challenges the church, and he says, God, uh, church, I've got, a, I've got a vision from the Lord, and that vision is, as a church, we're going to walk. And man, the people were getting into it, and they're saying, let us walk, preacher, let us walk. And he, he keeps on preaching, and he's getting into it, and he says, I got a vision for the church, and we're going to run. And the, the people in the church would say, let us run, preacher, let us run. He kept preaching and said, I got a vision for the church, and in that church we're going to soar. Let it soar, uh, let it soar, pastor, let it soar. I got a vision for the church, and if we're going to soar, we're going to have to give money. Let us walk, pastor, let us walk. We don't like to hear about money. There is no way... I love it when a plan comes together. There is no way that a year ago I would have known the finance committee would present our budget on Wednesday. And on Sunday, we would look to Luke chapter 21 and we would see this important teaching about our finances and more importantly, more specifically, how we give. So with that being said, we know the sovereignty of God is at work here. This is God's plan. So let me kind of set the context for you, remind you that several weeks back, we were in Luke chapter 19, and I told you it was the beginning of Passover week, which meant that thousands upon thousands of Jews would be making their annual pilgrimage to the temple, Passover week, to celebrate the Jewish Passover in Jerusalem in the temple. And so that's where we see Jesus going into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry. He goes after that, he goes into the temple. We saw that toward the end of chapter 19. He cleanses the temple. What we have been studying for the last several weeks in chapter 20 is Jesus' teaching in the temple. So for a couple of days following that entrance into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple. All the people are gathered around, and they're listening to his teaching. At the end of chapter 20, verse 45, we read these words. And hearing all the people, he said to just the disciples, he said, guys, beware the, the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast. Beware of those scribes who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive their greater condemnation. Where did Jesus said, say that? He was in the temple. He had been teaching in the temple. And so he calls the disciples over and he says, beware of those scribes. And then he gives a description of how they are. So he is still in that context. He's still in that context of talking with the disciples off to the side with thousands upon thousands of people coming into Jerusalem, filling into the temple. 
what we're going to find out in a moment that he is in what is called the court of women. And what do you do when thousands of people are there? Jesus sits back into a corner. He calls the disciples over and he just begins to do, he begins to people watch. I've shared with you before, I am a people watcher. I love being in the Atlanta airport and just sitting back and watching all the different types of people and all the different actions of people. I love going to the Galleria. I could go to the Galleria at Christmas time when all the people are there. I could go get me a bag of popcorn. I could sit on a bench somewhere and I could just sit back and I would be happy because it would be dinner and a movie. I'd have popcorn and a movie because all the things that you see, I like to watch people. Jesus watched people. As he watched people, what is he going to see? Chapter 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. So as Jesus is in the midst, the disciples are right there with them. He's about to teach them, just the disciples, another lesson. And what Luke tells us is that Jesus, as he was people watching, his mind, his eyes were drawn to two different types of people. The first, he watched the wealthy put their money, Luke says, into the money box, into the tithe box. Now, what is that all about? Very different from the way we take up tithe. Understand this. Um, I've actually prayed through this this past week. I hope you know that the way that we do the offering, there's nothing wrong with it. Hear me say that. There's nothing wrong with our traditional method of passing the offering plate in order to receive offering. There's not, I'm, it's not anti-biblical to do that. The New Testament does not prescribe for the church any way that we should be taking up the offering. However, if we really wanted to be in keeping with what we see in Scripture, what we see in Scripture is that the offering is, is not done with passing the plate. What Jesus saw that day in the temple would have been in the court of women. That's how we know what court he was in because that's where these boxes, these money boxes, offering boxes were held. And what Jesus would have been watching that day, uh, there would have been 13 money boxes. Each one of these money boxes would have this big trumpet-like horn coming up from it. And so visualize 13 all around the court of women, 13 big trumpet openings, large openings because people could just put coins in there. It would funnel down into the money box. If we really wanted to be in keeping with what we see in Scripture, some churches have done this. I've been in churches that have done this. They don't, they don't take up an offering during the service. Now, that would make the finance committee just <gasps> gasp with a little bit of fear. What do you mean we're not going to do offering anymore? What some churches have chosen to do, because it is in keeping with what we read, is that they've just placed a couple boxes around the church or at the entrance or exit as we go out, and people can give as they come in. They can give their offering into this box. It's locked. It can't be stolen. They give into this box, this offering box. Or as they leave, they give in this offering box. That's, that's more in line with what we see in Scripture. And so as Jesus was watching this, what he says is that he saw the wealthy. He saw the rich giving their offering. And so what we picture here, Jesus has a lot to talk about uh, with the rich and how they give their money. You don't have to turn here. I'm just going to read a couple of verses for you. Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 4. Jesus, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking about the way the rich give their money. 
He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Listen, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus says, don't give like the hypocritical rich people who when they give, they want everyone to see. They want everyone to notice. They want to make sure, hey, I'm catching someone's eye. People are watching me. And so maybe what Jesus was seeing there, we obviously know that there was something there. Maybe what it was that as they walked into the temple that day, these wealthy, they walked in with their money bags. And these 13 money boxes, each money box had a different purpose. One might be to feed the poor. One might be for the temple worship to go toward the temple. 13 different needs, 13 different free will offerings that they could give. And so the way I picture this taking place as Jesus' people watching is the rich come in and maybe they pause for a moment to make sure, hey, is someone watching me? Oh, yeah, that group is over there watching me. And so they just pour a little bit of that that bag into one one of these horns, one of these trumpets. And then they go to the next and they wait till someone else is watching. They pour a little bit more. And you can imagine, I I thought about doing this, uh, getting this ready for you. Uh, Just imagine what Jesus and the disciples are also hearing. They were also hearing these, these, uh, these gold coins, these silver coins of the rich going down in there, just the sound of that, those coins hitting these metal trumpets and going into the box. And they were giving, wanting people to see. And then Jesus notices something else. Notice that it is, he, he notices more than one rich person giving that way. It's not just he noticed a rich man Luke says he noticed the rich in the way that they gave. And then Luke says, and then he noticed this one widow. Now, we've talked about this before, so I won't go into great detail. It is difficult for widows in our day. It was even more unmanageable, different for widows in Jesus' day. Could not own uh, property. They were really lost. Without a son they were, um, who could provide for them, they were just given over to a life of poverty and suffering. And that's evidently the way this widow was. Because what Jesus said is that after watching the rich give and wanting that recognition, he noticed this little poor woman, this little poor widow. And he said all she gave was two copper coins. Some translations say, may say, and she gave two mites. What is that? Well, it would be the equivalent today for us, it would be the equivalent as an eighth of a penny. That's the worth. An eighth of a penny. Think about it. We may be walking out in the parking lot today and we look down and we see a penny. Many of us will not even pick, stop to pick up. It's just a penny. It's worthless. We wouldn't stop to pick up a penny. And what she gave that day was an eighth. She gave two coins, copper coins, worth each an eighth of a cent for us. But what Jesus says is that as he saw this poor widow come in, she gave. And he's going to tell us, he's going to tell the disciples and us something about these two coins. Verse 3, and Jesus said, Truly I tell you, it's shocking. It's shocking what he says. It surprises you. 
truly I tell you, the poor widow has put more than all of them. No, she hasn't. They came in with wealth. They came in with money bags. And all she had was two little coins that was worth each an eighth of a cent. How can Jesus claim, how can he say that that little widow woman gave more than all those wealthy people in all of their gold and silver coins? He tells us in verse 4, For they all, all the rich, they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. It's remarkable. What the rich did, maybe they, maybe they did do without a luxury or two, but they had plenty more to give. And this widow woman, she gave her last, as we would say, she gave her last two cents into the offering that day in the court of women. There are some lessons and some things that we need to grasp about uh, just these four verses that teach us, that teach us volumes about God and teach us volumes about us. So here's the first thing that we learn. We always want to start with what does this teach us about God. So here's what this reveals to us about God or Jesus. And that is that the Lord looks at the heart, not the gift. You see, the reason that Jesus was able to say that that little widow woman, she gave more than all the wealthy put together is because Jesus was able to see her heart just as God sees the heart of the giver. The wealthy, they were giving maybe out of the abundance she was given out of the poverty. The wealthy, they were given in order to uh, receive recognition or in order to receive benefit. This lady was given because she had a heart of worship. She had a heart of thankfulness and gratitude for the Lord. And it was her desire to worship him for who he was. The Bible has a lot to say about the heart. From all the way, going all the way back to the Old Testament, uh, we see it here in the New Testament. Maybe, maybe the best place that we see this principle that God sees the heart and not the gift or God sees the heart and, and not the person, comes all the way, goes all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And that's why we've chosen to put this passage on the wall today, to kind of direct us as we worship today, as we praise Him today. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, here's, here's what's taking place. God, we read that God has taken His hand off of King Saul. He had been disobedient, and the Lord said, I've had enough, and He no longer had His hand on King Saul. And so it's time for the prophet to anoint a new king for the Israelites. And so he sends the prophet to this house of Jesse. And he tells this prophet, you go to Jesse's house because I'm going to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king to take over after Saul. So the prophet does as he's instructed to do. Jesse invites him into his house. Uh, the, the prophet tells Jesse, hey, call your sons because we're going to have a sacrifice before the Lord. And so Jesse calls his sons, and then one by one, the sons begin to walk in front of the prophet. 
the very first son, which would have been the oldest son, as we've talked about before in Jewish tradition and Jewish culture, the oldest son has the birthright. The oldest son is the most important in the family. The oldest son is the one that carries on the tradition and the name. And so it would go by reason to think that it's going to be the oldest son that is going to be anointed king, right? But what we, what we read in 1 Samuel 16 is the oldest son comes before uh, the prophet, and God speaks to the prophet and says, listen, that's not him. Keep going. And this kind of confuses the prophet, but God gives him an explanation. And this is the explanation that God gives the prophet. He says, for the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. Man says, all right, this guy looks like he should be king. He's got the physique. He's got the build. He's got the look. Look how stately he looks. People can look up to this guy. But the Lord tells the prophet, listen, don't look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And so one by one, all those sons come through. David wasn't even invited to the, to the party. And the prophet says, do you not have any other sons? Because every time the Lord's spirit said, not him, not him, not him. Well, I got one more, but, you know, he's just, he's the youngest and he's just out there in the field. We'll bring him. And when he comes in, the spirit of God told the prophet, that's my man. That's the one that's going to be king. Why? Because the Lord saw his heart. That's the same thing we see in giving right here in, in Luke 21. What, what this reveals to us is that God sees the heart of the gift. God sees the heart of the man. As the people, as the rich were giving, he looked into their heart. It didn't matter the monetary amount. He saw their heart. He saw the heart of the widow as well. And so for us, if God looks at the heart, not the gift, not only in our tithe, not only in our giving of money, that's the context that we need to apply this, but it really goes into every area of our life. We need, to be, we need to be found faithful. We need to say, so what is the heart that God desires to see? If it's not about the action, if it's not about how much I give, if it's not about going to church, if it's not about doing all those right things, what kind of heart does, is God looking for? And so I want to share with you from Scripture I'm going, to, I'm going to hit on eight, but then I want to camp out on two additional. What we read in the scripture, here's, here's the heart that God seeks. Here's the heart that God looks for. Number one, he, he seeks a heart that serves him. God seeks a heart that serves him. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen. Number two, God seeks a heart that loves him. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. We can also... Uh, a heart that loves him. Um, Jesus was asked, what was the greatest commandment? He said, well, that's easy. Here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, with, all, with everything you have. Love the Lord. He, serves, he, seek, he seeks after a heart that loves him. He seeks after a heart that keeps his word. Deuteronomy 26, 16. He seeks after a heart that follows him. 1 Kings 14, 8. He seeks after a heart that seeks him, that has a desire to seek him. 2 Chronicles 15, 12. He seeks after a heart that praises him. Psalm 86, 12. He seeks after a heart that trusts in him. Proverbs 3, 5. And he seeks after a heart that believes him. Romans 10, 9, and 10. But let me, 
So I want to really elaborate on a couple more because they, it's what we see here. It's what we can learn here from Scripture as to the heart when it comes to giving the heart that, God's, that God desires to have in us. The, God looks for a heart that worships him and not money. There's so many times in Scripture that the, that the gospel writers recall Jesus' words. And we see things like this also in, um, in James and in Peter and in Paul's writing. That we cannot worship both God and money. God seeks a heart that really worships him. Now, I want to tell you, and this is not news to you. But as Americans are in America, not the main, but one of the, not the only, but one of the main little G God, one of the main little G gods of America is money. We as a nation worship money and prosperity. Thus, we Look beyond moral, ethical, biblical issues when we vote, and we vote according to how we think our money is going to be affected. Because we worship money. The studies show within America, the more a person has, the more a person makes, the less they give in church or to any nonprofit. God seeks after a heart that worships him. And Jesus said, point blank, no exceptions. You can't worship God and money. But God also looks for a heart that recognizes his rule and authority. Now listen to this. What's that mean? He looks for a heart that recognizes his rule and authority. By that, I mean he looks for a heart that, that recognizes everything that we have is his. And all we are are his stewards. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. David is praying over gifts offered for the building of the temple. And here's what David says. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. Lord, you are exalted as head over all. Listen to what he says. Wealth and honor comes from you. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 17 through 18 says this. Do not say to yourself... My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. What does it mean that God looks for a heart that recognizes his rule and authority? It means that at no time do we say, I have what I have because I'm a hard worker. It means that as no time as a believer, we say, I have the possessions that I have because I've gone to school and I've applied myself and I've done things right. No, you have what you have 
by the grace and the mercy of God. It is his. And we are but stewards. But we like to think, hey, this is, this is mine. And so when the offering plate goes by or when the pastor talks about um, money, we get uncomfortable because I've worked hard for this. It's God's from the beginning. It's God's while you have it. It's God's in the end. Read a, just recently, I read about a, a mama who's trying to teach this very principle to her child. That everything that, that we have is the Lord's, including our money. So they were in a church service and the offering plate went by. And the little child, as children are, because they learn from us, they didn't want to let go of that money. Mama had given this little boy money to give him the offering plate, but they didn't want to give that money. And she could see this, this back and forth going on in her, in her son's mind as the offering plate went by. But the mom was pretty shrewd. And she whispered in a frantic tone to her son, Drop the money, it's tainted. Drop the money, quick, it's tainted. And so the kid's eyes got big, the little boy's eyes got big, and he dropped the money into the offering plate. It went on by a little short time later. The boy kept thinking, it's tainted, it's tainted. He pokes his mama and he whispers to his mama, Mama, why was the money tainted? Why was the money evil? And she said, son, the money wasn't evil. The money taint yours and the money taint mine. The money's the Lord's. That's the truth. It taint mine, it taint yours. It's his. We have it by his grace and mercy. And we are to be good stewards. The Lord looks at the heart, not the gift. What does this reveal about us? When we see the rich giving, we say, you know what? I know I can be like that. And maybe it's not just giving money. Maybe it's other areas of our life. It reveals that we too can have the right action, but have the wrong heart. I mean, the action that the wealthy were doing, giving to the, to the money box for the poor, that was not the wrong action. That was the right action. Given to the money box that supported the temple, that was the right action. But the wrong heart was they wanted to be acknowledged. They wanted to say, what benefit am I going to gain from giving? We do that as well in, in all areas or in many areas of our lives. Husbands, how many times? Have you done something nice for your wife? Like sit down and watch a Hallmark movie. Don't look at me like that, Julie. <laughs> How many times have you done something nice for your wife because you think you might receive a benefit? Wives, how many times have you done something nice for your husband thinking that you might receive a benefit? That's the same principle. It's the, it's the right action, but it's the wrong motive. It's the wrong heart. At, at work, how many times, listen, your job pays you to do your job. But how many times have you done your job with the hopes of, not because, hey, 
I'm, I'm a Christian, and the Bible tells me that in all I do, I'm doing it for the Lord. And so I'm doing this because this is what is right as a believer. I'm doing this because I want to be obedient. How many times have you done it thinking, okay, I hope my boss finds out about this because I want a pat on the back, I want a raise, I want a bonus, I want whatever it might be. It's the right action. It's the wrong heart. It's the wrong motive. And what we see in this when it comes to giving, the offering plate goes by. We give. The, uh, maybe we go online and we give electronically. It's the right action, but how's the heart? God wants the action. That's obedience. But he wants the action done with the right heart. A heart of recognizing this is his. It's not mine. I'm just supposed to be a good steward. A heart of obedience that I, or a heart of worship that I'm not going to be like everyone else in our nation. I'm not going to worship my money. And so I'm going to give for the kingdom, for the glory of the kingdom of God. A heart of love, a heart of obedience. He wants the action, yes. We read in, uh, I think it's, is it, is it uh, 2 Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. He wants the heart uh, of obedience. Yes, he, he wants the obedience, but he also wants the heart. He wants the motive to be in keeping with who he is and what he's called us to do. So as the offering plate goes by, what heart are you giving in or not giving? As I preach today, or you have heard other pastors preach about money, about giving, what heart are you listening with? There comes a time in, uh, I guess, in most people's lives, maybe it's because for some it's just because of age and there are no conditions, no, no warnings, but just because someone has reached a certain age that a good doctor will say, you know what, we need to just, um, you're getting at that age, we just need to do some checking on your heart. Maybe they do this because you have signs. Uh, you've been getting out of breath as you go upstairs. Uh, you've been fatigued lately. You're having hurt, pain, and tingling in, in your left arm. There comes a time for most of us where a doctor is going to say, you know what, we need to do some further testing on your heart. Let's run an EKG. Let's schedule a stress test and we'll put all these little probes on you and we'll put you on a treadmill and we'll get the heart rate up and we'll watch how it goes they do all that to test the heart i don't know that there is a better test of our spiritual heart than when the offering plate goes by it's the ekg it's the stress test of our spiritual heart So my closing question to us today is, how's your heart? How's your heart today? How's your spiritual heart today? Are our actions right? And our heart wrong? Would you bow your heads?